This is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge Number 2, and I'm here speaking on the level with Albert Kruger. And Albert actually lives a block away from me, so we just grabbed some lunch, and now we're going to talk a little bit today. And Albert, I usually start out by asking people to tell me uh, your full name, the name of your home, Blue Lodge, and uh, any other organizations in masonry you might be a part of. Ah, my full name is Albert Peter Kruger. And uh, my Blue Lodge is Arizona number two. And that's it. Part of any appendant body? Oh, or no? um, yeah. Dang, I don't know the number. I'm just looking up the number. I actually initiated the process through <clears throat> ancient, free, and accepted masons of the state of Oregon, Friendship Lodge. No. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So you did your first degree there? I did my first degree in Oregon. Okay, and then yeah. came down here and finished the process. Right. So how how long ago did you become a Mason? You mean third degree? Well, I know. When did you start the process in Oregon? Um, it was just before I left town in a hurry. <laughs> in the uh, 2013. 2013. Okay, yeah. so you started uh, uh, February. Did you do your first degree there? Yeah. Okay, yeah, and then you a degree, and that's as far as I got. I left town a couple of days later. <laughs> and then what? You moved to Arizona? Yeah. What year was that? You moved to Arizona, 2013? Yeah, it was the same okay. year. Okay. So yeah. when did you petition to join Arizona number two? Um, as soon as I found Arizona number two, which I did through the recommendation of my uh, sponsor in Oregon. Okay. I guess sponsor. And uh, so he said, oh, try number two, but I think he just pulled that out of the hat. Yeah. Well, maybe it's, uh, I find a lot of people interested in the history of, of number two in our building and maybe knowing you, that was the reason why he recommended number two. Yeah, it could be. Could be. So, do you remember when you first heard of this thing called Freemasonry? Yeah. <clears throat> I remember, excuse me, <clears throat> what I remember as the three basic repeating sermons in the Wisconsin Synod Lutheran Church in which I was confirmed. Really? Yeah, in the seventh grade. And the recurring sermons were don't drink, uh, don't engage in premarital sex, and don't join the Masons. <laughs> Seriously, that's Seriously. what they told you? Yeah. Wow. It was a big deal. We're, we're right up there with drinking and premarital sex. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Since I had no idea what the Masons were anyway. He decided to try out for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got through the, the booze. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh, this is public, right? Yeah, that's that's uh, public, yeah. So that's interesting. I've never heard about They actually preached to you in church not to become a Mason. Well, actually, that's more the norm than not historically in today? Protestant churches, yeah. Huh. And was in Catholic churches, too. And I always look funny at you. Although I've, I've discovered... Uh, making a move to the Episcopal Church, which is what I was ordained in, I found that there are Masons in Episcopal churches everywhere I go. And they're all active in church, and nobody seems to 
So, yeah. so it's like your 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 more conservative Protestant churches just don't. So when did your so you heard about it at a very young age? Tell me when did your I guess search in earnest start, or when did you start saying, "Hmm, I need to check this masonry thing out." My search in earnest started probably about 2010, maybe earlier, when a uh, a newcomer moved into my church's neighborhood, and you have to understand that for certain churches, small churches in small situations, having a newcomer is like the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's you get excited and you don't want to do anything to lose them. So, so back up. This was you. You grew up in the, in the Lutheran Church, but you left there for the Episcopal Church, and you became a, a an ordained minister. Yeah, over time. Tell, tell, just tell decades, me a little bit about yeah. when what, what happened there. When when did you become a minister? Ah, uh, I was ordained to the diaconate in 1980. 1980. And in 81. Okay. How old were you then? How old was I in 1980? 32. 32 years old. Okay, yeah. so 32 years old, you became an ordained minister yeah. in, uh, in, in what church? The Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States of America. And is that still the church you're part of today? Yeah. Okay. Officially and formally. <laughs> you say that with some hesitation. Like, <laughs> are you a secret agent of some sort? That I, I am. Know I'm or? a secret agent, and I receive messages from <laughs> outer space. <laughs> awesome. Wow, well, all right. There you go. That can go public. <laughs> My reputation. Yes, well, well, it's the nice thing about knowing. Sometimes I do these interviews and I don't know the person at all. And the nice thing about knowing them, like I know you, is I know you have a very dry sense of humor. <laughs> so not to take anything you say too seriously. Um, mm. So so back to okay. So back to when you when you started your search in earnest. You're with the, the well, church, minister. A newcomer became a very dear friend, and and uh, we worked together really well in that congregation on some fun projects and. I was impressed because the first time I met him, I was hiding in my office, which is my customary behavior. And I came out and there was this fellow I didn't recognize kneeling at the altar rail in prayer. But gosh, hardly anybody does that anymore in the middle of the week. And it was, turned out he was a Freemason and very much involved in reviving What's now Lodge Number One Sixty? So this was in Oregon. Yeah, Lodge. The the what became Friendship Lodge was in the neighborhood of my church in North Portland. So, and he was running a home, really a half a block from the church. Running a home? Renting. Oh, renting a home. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and first thing he did was come over and pray. So this was 2010? Yeah, somewhere around there. So tell me, that's about, so you got a three-year window between then and the time that you you uh, yeah. joined. What, what happened in that three years? Tell me about your search or your research or what happened in that <clears throat> Well, I just got to know him and enjoy his mind and what he was interested in thinking about and his loyalty and his eagerness to make things work. And... Uh, his, whether it was willing or just circumstance, went through a lot of crap with me in that little church and became the target of some really nasty stuff that I was the target of. And uh, our friendship 
held through that. And um, <clears throat> he was revamping a kind of a moribund lodge in North Portland and really bringing lots of people and young people in. And it was uh, starting to thrive. And, um, you know, that was his passion. And uh, he was able to talk about masonry with me because that's basically the only thing he thought about. He was kind of a fanatic, Freemason. Um, and quite frankly, I, when I, I made my decision to retire, which had to be postponed until I got thoroughly vested so I could survive, it was because I was thoroughly fed up with the Episcopal Church. And I thought, you know, I need some kind of fellowship and I'm going to be moving away. And I, from my experience with my friend, I think masonry would be the place to go. So you you decided to join knowing that you weren't going to stay there, knowing that you were going to leave. Yeah, and he knew it too. Yeah. Um, but it, had, it was one of those things that was kind of an unwritten expectation. We both knew it would probably happen eventually, but um, I just, that was a good time to do it. So how, what was the process like when you joined Harmony? Is that what it was? I'm sorry, not Harmony Lodge. Friendship, Friendship Lodge. How long was that? When, when did you first go and visit the lodge? Uh, I first visited the lodge. Um, maybe a couple of months before that. It's a very knew, quick process. Though. I knew a lot of the people oh, already. Wow, okay. And so well, at least one of my strongest supporters in um, in the church was a Freemason for most of his life. So it's not like I was unfamiliar with anything. I'd attended funerals and lodge and stuff like that. Oh, yeah? Okay. And, you know, like I said, I've run into Freemasonry. There was a strong Masonic contingent in the church in Walla Walla, Washington, where I served. Um, you don't see that. You see that a lot in the old, older, well-established Episcopal congregations. It obviously wasn't unusual for men male Episcopalians to be Freemasons and their wives to be a part of the Eastern Stars. Eastern like Star. that. Yeah. Did you have any uh, Masonic uh, family history? No. Um, oh, yeah. I just found out from my brother who <clears throat> just remembered. Um, apparently, my grandfather on my mother's side was a Mason. Oh. He was also a veteran of the Spanish-American War. Wow. Grandfather on your mother's side. Yeah, so okay. my mother's father. Sweet. Wow, yeah, that's a pretty close connection that you didn't even know about. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know about it. it. Was My father was not a joiner. He poo-pooed every kind of club and every... I'm, I'm, the only reason he was a staunch Lutheran is because he was the child of German immigrants who were died in the old Lutherans, and that's just what you do. You feel be a Lutheran as you feel go to church. So, <laughs> you know, we always went to church. Okay, did Yeah, we're going to church. 
no arguments. But joining anything else? No, not even the um, uh, civic groups or business groups or anything like that. He was a businessman, but he never joined stuff. Just the church is the only thing he would ever. So what year, so it's 2016, are we coming up on your three-year anniversary from... Um, from Oregon. Yeah. From Oregon? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when were you raised? Three, past three, three, past three. Yeah. Okay. When were you raised as a mason and number as a, as a master mason and number two? Was that two years ago? At the outdoor. Twenty fourteen. Oh, you were an outdoor. I didn't make it to that outdoor degree. Yeah. Well, it wasn't this one. It was the one. Right. Before. I didn't make the last two. Unfortunately, actually, it was one before that. I guess I didn't make that one either. <laughs> wow. Could it be that long? <laughs> well, it had to be. Um, 2014, because I think I did, my, I did my, I was the outdoor degree candidate in 2013. So if you were 2014, I don't know who the 2015 was, then 2016 was Chase. So yeah. at least one person. 2014. Okay. All right. Yeah. So two years, so it's got to be about two years, your two-year anniversary has to be here. Come on up. Tell me, in, in that two years, let's, let's say it's roughly two years, what have you learned, I guess, tell me what you've learned about masonry. Does anything stand out to you that, uh, on a really memorable experience or anything like that? Hmm. Well, yeah, but you don't want to hear about it. Nothing you can't tell me. Nothing <laughs> you can't hear about uh, it, some of the stuff you can't tell us. I got to tell you, for a while, I considered just giving up on the process. Oh, so tell me about it. I know it took you a long time. Yeah, tell because me about that. one of the things I was burned out on in the Episcopal Church is institutional, the institutional dances you do. Red tape paperwork. Red tape paperwork and all that. And the red tape and the paperwork, in my case, was just appallingly messed up and impossible to resolve. It took, what, a year? Yeah, it took yeah. at least a year. I mean, when you're, the lodge you're transferring from ceases to exist. And, oh, is that what happened? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you transferring from? What, you got to go. How do you oh, get credentials? You got to go through the Grand Lodge. Uh, yeah, but it also ceased to exist under unhappy circumstances. So oh. everyone involved was not speaking to each other. And my uh, sponsor, who was very very committed now won't touch masonry with a 10-foot pole he got so burned on it so it wasn't a happy time that's unfortunate and you know me coming out of what i consider to be a very unhappy time and what i had chosen to commit my life to before so coming to Arizona, i was not real and running into the same bs yeah so it was pretty rough i um But you hung in there. I hung in there and took a year, and then you got remembering things. I, I know, I know. I remember talking to you a few times while you were waiting. So it took, you know, you, you have to do certain paperwork between the Grand Lodge or the lodge you were coming from, and verifying and doing that process can take quite a while. So in your case, it took like a year, but you hung in there. And then as soon as you did, we did oh, your second about two years to do the second to do um, my uh, proficiency. Okay. Yeah, I just couldn't remember the darn thing. I couldn't <laughs> concentrate on anything. I was just, it's hard. There's a lot of memory work there. Well, yeah, and I 
Massively wanted to just say, screw it, I've had enough of this in my life. Question. So what? So tell me, what is it that uh, kept you interested? I mean, why why not just walk away? What is it that kept you uh, chasing after it or, or moving forward with masonry? Well, there's two things, and uh, well, let's let's make it three things because I always do that for religious reasons. Why not? Yeah. Um, one, I don't do well without a fellowship. You know, I'm, I'm very independent and I hardly ever, I mean, people don't understand what I'm talking about half the time, but I'm not a hermit, you know. I've noticed that about you. One of the things I've seen about you is you start talking and you skip some of the information in between. You've moved on to something else and I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, I know, now I know what he's talking about. <laughs> you just skip ahead a couple of steps sometimes. Right. So that's... Yeah, you know, that's just who I am. Right. Didn't work too well in the church. <laughs> <laughs> so you recognize it yourself. When I try to fill in what needs to be there, it takes about six hours. Yeah. So it's just difficult. That's why I'm writing now instead of preaching. And let's get to that. But so the first thing you notice is you recognize yeah. in yourself the importance of, of having that fellowship. Yeah, a fellowship. And, you know, it's a good fellowship. I, I, it's a decent man and I need the company of men. I want the company of men. Um, and, you know, from what I've seen, you can't ask for a better fellowship. Two, also the historic stuff and the cultural um, significance of masonry appeals to me you as too. well mm -hmm. as far as, well, I think especially in the political turmoil now, and I'm not talking politics, but what I am talking about is that masonry does represent in a profound way what the country stands for. We deal with the same issues in masonry that you're seeing in the in the papers and in the in the off runs for political office for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's not just a little club, it's a very important historic reality. And that kind of thing appeals to me. I'm not a clubber either, really. A what? Clubber. What's that? I don't join clubs. Oh, oh okay. Right. Well, I was president of a science club in high school. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I was a member of the Thespians Club. And, oh. What else? Yeah, that's about it. So uh, the history of the cultural significance, what's number three? To round out our... Uh, number three is... <clears throat> I don't trust any of the churches enough anymore to really seek that kind of fellowship there anymore. Hmm. Okay. Which is, I mean, I'm totally geared up for that. I speak the language, I've done my studies, I love Jesus and all of that stuff. But I just don't want to. I, I walk into a church and I go, get me out of here. Yeah, I saw a post. It's hard. I've been a priest for 36 I years. remember you posted something on Facebook yeah. recently about the church just being a group of people, but those people also be having a responsibility as being part of that church. And you, you talked about the differences. The article talked about differences between people in a church and where do you draw the line. Yeah. And I remember reading that. And it's hard because just like masonry, right, it's made up of people and people are imperfect. And Right, and you have... 
why do we say we're here versus how do we behave while we're here? Right. Yeah, and over time, it's kind of hard if you're the guy in charge, if you're not able to adjust, which I guess I could honestly say I never did. I always thought, well, why can't I get anywhere here with this? Mm. It's like, you know, it's like some of the disagreements you run into in masonry, yeah. Why don't we make the obligation easier, that kind of thing? And you you think about it and realize, well, because you'll end up with a meaningless organization if you do. Right. And who wants to commit time and money and intelligence to spinning your wheels in a meaningless organization? Yeah, mm-hmm. those are the kind of thoughts I have. Everybody has an opinion one, one way or the other. And yeah. One of the things I like about masonry is that, you know, we encourage people to disagree honorably. You know, that's that's kind of one of the things I like about masonry that draws yeah. me in. So are there men uh, in, in the couple of years? I know you talked very highly of the, the men you called your sponsor who got you in. Are there men who have really stood out to you that you kind of look up as embodying those ideals of, of Freemasonry? Well... I'm my own biggest hero, so it's kind of hard. I'm sorry, your own biggest hero, huh? Yeah. You admire yourself a great deal. (laughs) No, I have profound respect for myself. That's good. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, When I find out certain people were Masons, that's kind of a fun little piece of information, but... um, like I said, the, the, I found my strongest supporters in my church work and the people I've gotten along with the easiest and most honorably are military retirees and Freemasons. And so I guess that just says more about who I am than hmm. all of the other things that I might choose to be bothered by is just the kind of environment I work the best in where there's a you know you have this clear reason to be there and you have a commitment and yeah you have your personal integrity but you also have a whole bunch of other people with their integrity um, and you're committed to working together that way It, it in the church it doesn't not like that. I've been a moving target for 36 years. I I have to laugh when... Part of that comes (laughs) with being in a position of leadership, I suppose. Yeah, I have to chuckle and bite my tongue when when I hear an ex-grandmaster or worshipful master say how hard it was to be in charge for a year. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what try 30-some years. 36 years. 36 years. Yeah, Yeah, it is hard being in charge of people, um, especially if they don't really want to have anybody in charge of them. What do you what do you see as the future for you in masonry? What are you looking for in the future? What do you what do you hope to happen, I guess? I just hope to develop friendships. Yeah. Yeah. I uh um probably won't go very far. I I toy with the idea of memorizing a lecture or something like that. I'll probably do something like that. Um but I have to 
get away from my writing because I can't. I'm always thinking about what I'm going to put in. The right. Next, and I've already started the next book, so you know the memory stuff is difficult because it's not where my mind is focused. No desire to be chaplain in lodge or anything like that. Oh, that'd be a kick. Yeah, at least I get to look at the book. <laughs> that'd be a kick. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. Just because I'm ordained doesn't mean I should be the chaplain, but no, but it probably have, Yeah, it means you probably have an interest in yeah. it, and it would probably find it. You know, you would probably find a certain, I, I don't know, interest or growth factor in taking on that. Role, yeah, I, I think, think I would. Yeah. What anything uh, else you'd like to say about um, you know Freemasonry in general, or your experience, or any, any closing thoughts, or anything? Um. Golly. The food is really good now that you've got good cooks. Tim, Tim and Vic cooking all the time? Yeah, Tim and Vic they really kind of need to be noticed more than they are because when you get a bunch of men together, you don't usually get very creative ideas on what to eat. Like, well, let's go out for tacos or something. Let's go to Panda. Yeah, let's go to Panda. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's kind of precious to me, really, um, and and important. I mean, it keeps people coming. Um, and you know what? In closing, let me tell us tell us a little bit about uh, your book. I know you uh, just uh, finished uh, a book and submitted. Tell me a little bit what's going on with that and about the book. The book is turning out to be my life work, which I hope I can get done with soon enough to write the snarky stuff about the church that I want to write. <laughs> In the sequel? In the well it'll be a different genre altogether. Oh, of course, of yeah. This one is theological and it's just um it really comes out of the accumulation of thoughts I've had trying to preach from the scripture and the traditions of the church for thirty six years and doing all the theological study, plus combined with the fact that I have a background in philosophy and mathematics and astronomy, which it gives me kind of a broad but unintelligible view of things. <laughs> dizzying is what I was going to say, but kind of yeah, unintelligible. Yeah, dizzying, dizzying, maybe that's it. Yeah, because my first love was astronomy, and then mm -hmm. I almost took a degree in mathematics and ended up over a 10-year period graduating in philosophy, mainly because it was my quickest road to graduation. get a degree to go into seminary. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it just took a while to decide what I wanted to do with myself. And what's the topic of the book? So the, the, the title of the book is Finding Apocalypse. Finding Apocalypse. Is that anything like Finding Nemo? It is. Kind of like that. And quite frankly, I came up with that catchy title because everybody's writing Killing This or Finding That or Losing This. And I thought, okay, I'll do Finding Apocalypse. That finding should apocalypse. catch somebody's attention. Hey, I found it. <laughs> so, um, Finding Apocalypse, part one, but it didn't start out to be part one, but unless I want a 300,000 word book, it's gonna have to be part one. Um, and it's called From the 
fords of the Jordan to the plain of Shinar. Wow. That will attract the Bible geeks. The intellectuals from the fords of the Jordan to the... To the plain of Shinar. To the plain of Shinar. Wow. Yeah. Um, and really, it's an overview of the uh, Bible in terms of what I find to be the guiding concept of apocalypse. It's not a something that gets clipped on to the end and looks weird and nobody knows what to do with it. It holds the whole thing together. I don't think I've ever heard anybody use that term Bible geeks. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> our Bible geeks. That's a new one. Oh yes, in First Corinthians eight seventeen. Yeah, I can never get yeah. those quotes on the No, neither can I. <laughs> Well, I'll be looking for that book. I will definitely buy a copy and read it when it comes out. Yeah, so part two will be finding a cop a apocalypse with a different different focus. Different focus, which I haven't figured out yet. Finding apocalypse at the circle case. And maybe. maybe part three will be it's too late because it just happened. It's I over. <laughs> Well, it's going to be part three. When's it going to happen? Yeah, part three. Oops. Sorry, I waited too long. Uh, All right, well, Albert, thank you very much for talking you. today. I appreciate uh, your time. <laughs> hmm.